Joe, you know we can't start until you do the thing. Do the thing, Joe. Podcast, podcast, you should totally listen to this podcast. Other people, look around, they're everywhere. Some are friends, acquaintances, neighbors. Some do work for you. Your doctor, the barista who keeps you caffeinated and does so with a smile. Even the guy who paints your house. But the rest are strangers, most of whom you will never know or care anything about. But what if you did? What if you took some time to think about them, about their story? Everybody has a story. Everybody deep down has a challenge unique to them, a thing that makes their day harder to get through. A crippling anxiety. A sick child. The devastating loss of a loved one. We all have stuff. So there's that. So let's meet someone you don't know yet and hear about their baggage. So friends out there today, we're going to meet Joe. Joe is a friend of the show, a really good friend of the show. Uh, He is a former comic book store owner. He is a music expert, I would say. If it's 60s or 70s, like, try and stump him. And I should have brought trivia questions to do Uh, that. And uh, we're going to listen to his story. Like all of us, he has a story. And we're going to talk about Joe and his wife, Jill. So tell us how you met Jill, Joe. Well, back in the 1980s, if you remember the 1980s, uh, I used to work at Hardee's, and it was like two blocks from my house, so it was you know the ideal job. I could walk down there if I wanted. And for quite a few years, uh, Hardee's was my personal dating playground. You know, I love it. Did you buy them curly fries? <laughs> no, no. Did those exist in the 80s? Sure they did. I, they did, but I don't think we had them. If we did, it would have been near the end. So then, so Jill walks in. Jill walked in one day. And you give her the, hey, what's your boyfriend? They think of your um, new gig. Well, not exactly. The the day that she came in, she came in with, I think her name was Jennifer. um, And they took him downstairs because at that point they were doing orientation and everything. And I, of course, managed to wheedle my way down. It's just like, hey, I got to go check on the the coat syrup. Oh, let me go see that. In true teenage fashion... Despite having a girlfriend, Joe decides to go downstairs under the guise of doing some work, really, just to check out Jill. And Jill decided, apparently, immediately that I was her guy. And once she started working and found out that I was going out with Noreen, it's like, she decided, well, I'm going to take him. And, uh, Good for her. Go, Jill. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Forget um, your man. Jill did, not like, joy. Jill did not like the word no. Um, that wasn't something that she took very well. So eventually, um, I was going to go, I'd gotten tickets to go see Dave Edmonds and the Stray Cats down in Springfield. And it's going to take Noreen, of course, you know. And Noreen wouldn't know who Dave Edmonds and the Stray Cats were to save her life, didn't want to go. And they were closing one night, and there was this Mike, um, who was a nice guy, but wanted a ride home. And Jill didn't want to give him a ride home because he'd been hitting on her. And Noreen was like, if you will go to this concert with Joe, I will take Mike home. And Jill's like... You're kidding. No. Done. Like, that's easy, what I was, easiest... Kismet. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was told anyway. That's what she said. And so I kind of find out that I'm taking Jill to this concert. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Hell yes, I am. Why not? If Noreen She's, says I have to. No, wasn't it? No, really, at that point. I, like I said, it was, it was crumbling. You know what little what little was ever there, and so we you know I picked her up and we went down there and kind of just setting the tone for our entire relationship. She should have known right from the start. She should have ran to the high hills. We get down there and we're looking around and it's like 
you know, there's a concert supposed to be here. Where's everybody at? It had been canceled. Um, oh, no. And I hadn't heard about it because this is pre-internet days. You have no idea right. what's going on down there. And it was like me and her and then like two other people. And we finally find somebody at the facility down there. And they're like, no, that's, that was canceled two weeks ago. Oh. So, so I look like a complete moron. Uh, the cool thing was it was the Street Machine Nationals were going on at that time, which cars are another thing that I was really into. So, because I was like noticing that, it's like, what are, look at all these great cars. I had no idea that was going on either. So we kind of hung out with that, and then we just ended up going back to my house and watching some TV, and took her home and kissed her, and that was a different kiss. And then, how long before you felt like she was the one? Um, pretty quick after that, actually. Joe knew Jill was the one, but they still had a lot to learn about each other. We did not have a lot in common. We were one of those couples where she knew nothing about comic books, didn't care about sports, um, any of that stuff. She was totally into fashion and all of that stuff that I couldn't have cared less about, which was good because it always gave us our own thing. Right. So the thing we had in common, we both liked to read. Um, I read back then. Yeah. <laughs> not anymore. You don't read now? <laughs> Very, not enough, let's put it that way. It'd help. Um, but uh, I always thought that that worked really well for us because we always had our own separate things that we could go to. That You didn't have to entertain each other no. together 24-7. Oh, no. We spent many evenings. She'd be in one room reading a book, and I'd be in the other room watching the Cubs or something, or I'd be, you know. Go Cubs! So did Jill pop the question? Or did Joe pop no, the question? No, Joe popped the question probably several different times. Um, the thing is, Joe popped the question never had a ring, nor did we ever have a concrete plan. I was going to college. She decided not to go to college because she had gotten a scholarship to Robert Morris over in Iowa, I think it was, and thought that would be too far apart for the two of us. And so I just, you know. So she... Forsook, forsaked college to stay with you. Yeah, okay, kind of, okay. and uh, and I certainly appreciate that. And uh, so, college didn't work out for me <laughs> it should have because Joe had no backup plan for college, and when college failed, um, that was when Joe had to get a get a plan. I like to refer to myself in the third person. I, I noticed that. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. I think it works for you. John, John yeah. noticed it too. Yeah. John noticed it too. <laughs> That's probably because when I'm on on the radio that's what I do um, so, so not really a plan going forward no nah, just you know will you marry me sure of course but no date set no anything I didn't have the money to buy a ring nor would I have ever have dared to buy a ring because to try to choose Jill's oh, ring oh yeah, yeah no I would, it would have been better giving her a cigar ban and said this represents the ring we're going to go buy but you're going to be with me but, and yeah yeah oh yeah no Jill would never what kind, right what kind of that? girl <laughs> now I mean I didn't well I kind of I don't know kind of had a hand in my own ring but but I get that no you know. she totally so finally um Got, got a job at a comic book store because that was that was luck. Um, I couldn't draw them, so I started selling them. And then I kind of rose up within that little chain. And then uh, a different guy bought the store down in Normal. And he needed a manager. And he's like, I want you to be my manager. And he's like, I'm going to have to move to, to Normal. Well, by that point, Jill had stayed with Hardee's, and she became a manager. And they transferred her the same week. I'm not kidding you. 
to the Bloomington That's parties. That's crazy. So she was going to have to move down there too. And the whole thing we were going on about was, well, we can't live together. Your parents will, you know, our because you're not f- married yet. Yeah, because we're not married. You know, they'll all freak out, and they, you know, there's no way her dad and mom are going to allow that. And so we're friends. Oh man, we're going to both be down there paying two rents when right. we could be paying one. When you really could use one place, right? And we were. She was <laughs> yeah. sort of de facto living with me at that point anyway, because I did have an apartment at that point. And, you know, she qualified coming home at four in the morning, living on her to, wherever to, with her mom. Yeah, to, to you know, you know, still living at home. And it's like, no, you're not living at home. Um, and her mom's like, well, you guys are going to live together, right? Yes, yes, we are. <laughs> and the angels sang. Thank, thank you, Ellen. <laughs> and my mom didn't have a problem with it, and my dad could have cared less about it. Um, so we moved down there, and things continued to go well. And then one morning. Woke up, and she said, let's get married. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> when do you want to do that? And she's like, June 3rd. It's like, next month, June 3rd? <laughs> okay, sure. And so we went to the, you know, I thought it was going to be a production. We'd never really talked about it, so I thought she, surely she's going to want a big, Plan the whole thing and- big church wedding and, you know, all that kind of crap. She wanted nothing to do with that. We were going to get married at the courthouse up in Peoria, which is what we ended up doing. Um, very small, just uh, her parents, my parents, her grandma, my grandma, my brothers, and their girlfriends at the time, and her sisters, and and my boss, because he took the pictures that are in here. Um, and then the lady that walked in, oh, you're getting married today. Oh, I love weddings. Can I watch? <laughs> a wedding crasher. Yeah, I love at, that. At the courthouse. She's hanging out all day. Well, yeah. we, were, we were the only ones that were getting married that day as the judge was, you know, pointing out to us. It's like, see this stack of papers here? Says, These are all people I'm divorcing today. He says, oh, you're geez. the only oh, two I'm gosh. marrying. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, that's not a problem. And then that morning, she didn't want to go. She's... She's like, I, I, I don't think so. I said, put that dress on and let's go. Cold feet about the marriage or you think just today is not the day? I think she just wasn't, yeah. I mean, she she wanted to not show up for her high school graduation too. Um, I had to force her to go to that. Was part of it like, I don't like the, the spotlight on me type thing or? I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. We didn't talk about it. It was just one of those things. I just said, get the dress on, let's go. You know, if she had truly not wanted to. We, you would have respected that. Oh, yeah. 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 So. so you get married. Is there a honeymoon? <laughs> yes, yes, there was a honeymoon. We went to Mexico. And uh, I I didn't want to go to Mexico. No offense against Mexico. I, I was afraid to go to another country because of my food allergies. And I thought we would have problems ordering food and everything. Jill spoke a little bit of Spanish. Not enough to convey... An allergy. An allergy. Yeah. And I really did not want to go there, but she was bound to determine that was what she did want. She didn't want, you know, she wanted to go somewhere exotic, somewhere special. And my boss had had a timeshare, and they gave it to us that year. You can go anywhere except Hawaii, because that's where they had been the year before. And that's where we wanted to go. I would have gone to Hawaii. And so we couldn't, so she picked Mexico, and we went there. And I had the panic attack of all, the first of many panic attacks. and food related yeah because we had eaten something it, cheeseburger and some fries and they was the greasiest cheeseburger and fries i've ever had and i was in the bathroom pretty quick after that 
Um, but then I just went nuts and my throat tightened up and I was numb. Half my face was numb and everything. And I was just, I was a wreck. And we had to come home early, and which took me years to pay off on my one credit card. The credit card that I got specifically because we got married. So, yeah, I don't know that she ever truly forgave me for cutting that church because she was having a great time. But surely she understood. I mean, oh yeah, you no, know. no. By that point, no, she she'd almost killed me once accidentally, taking me to a Chinese restaurant where I'd never eaten, and then course the first thing we ordered had peanut butter in it <laughs> so she knew I wasn't faking on the, the food allergies that was a real she'd seen it yeah. you know firsthand drove me past the hospital to my grandma's where I told her to take me because <laughs> my grandma's a nurse and my mom might be there and my mom's a nurse and my grandma my grandma was there and then my mom did show up but did yeah. they have to EpiPen you or was that no a- that was pre-EpiPen days I don't if they existed I didn't have one um, what did you I, do? Just Benadryl or wait it out? Or? I threw up. Oh, God. Which is what I, I could have done at the Chinese restaurant or at McDonald's when we went through the drive-thru to get ice to, yeah. you know, or had I gone to the hospital that we drove right past. Hi, hospital. <laughs> that my mom later worked at. Um, so my life is full of coincidences. So, no, she knew it was a reality. So that, uh, that wasn't a problem. But I still think it was, you know, she knew I hadn't been... It wasn't the food. It was right. my mind. Right. So. Panic attacks are a real thing. I've, I've suffered suffered a number over the last handful of years, and it's no joke. I mean... It's real. It's, it's oh, real stuff. It's, yeah, it's, it's real stuff. It feels real, and there's, your body, your brain takes over and yep. shuts you down, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so honeymoon, cut short. Yep. You come back, back uh, to reality of life. Back to reality of life. Uh, at, by that point, my boss had uh, gotten in some financial straits, and I ended up uh, buying the comic store that I was working at, which I had absolutely zero training for because I was an art major when I was in college. I'd never taken a business class in my life. Still haven't. Um, but I had been running the business on a day-to-day basis. I did the ordering. I knew who to talk to and everything. and. It wasn't that difficult. Right. And it's like, I can do this. And she was a, a little bit unsure of that for those very reasons, like you've never taken business classes. And I'm like, well, yes, but I, I know how much we're spending every month, you know, and I knew how much to borrow, and my dad helped me get the money for that. And uh, it worked, lo and behold. So this thing that she was very, you know, apprehensive about, and I don't blame her, I mean, had been the opposite way around I probably would have said really but she had faith in me she went ahead and let me do it and I contributed you know I made money every year until I sold it and you know so I felt really good about that you yeah. know it's like yeah now we're, we're moving and, and then we we hit some problems as a lot of people do we had uh, tried to have a child and that didn't work out uh, Jill had Stein Leventhal syndrome which Basically, I think it's like her ovaries kind of look like Swiss cheese and didn't produce enough eggs. And they, they told us, oh, you can't have kids, you know. And she went in, I think, to a depression after that uh, that I didn't clearly totally understand. Was that was having kids important to you? Was it something? It was, was not important to me. It was apparently important to her. We hadn't talked a lot about it um, prior to getting married. I, I was fine with it when she s- said, let's have kids. It's like, oh, okay, sure. Why not? Well, actually, no, I said, I don't think I'm ready. And she said, if we wait until you're ready, you'll never be ready. Right. 
And, and, and that's, that's, that's absolutely true the truth. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And I said, I could not, as often was the case, I couldn't argue with her logic because she was, you know, brilliant. And I'm like, okay, yeah. And she sure. didn't take no for an answer. And so she's right. not take no Joe, for an answer. let's have kids. We're having Abs- kids. Absolutely. Well, we thought we were. Yeah. So she's kind of in a in a, a bit of a depression about this. Is she still manager? Yeah, duty? up to that point, yes. Um, and she was going to take the next level step, and that didn't happen. And she ended actually ended up losing her job, and so that uh, added to the depression for all of three days. And at some point, one of her old bosses had. A franchise of Hardee's down in Florida by that time he had gotten fired they had cut a whole bunch of people but he had a lot of money from his buyout and everything so he bought these restaurants and he wanted her to come down and be the district manager and that was basically what I was told and like here's what's happening here's what's happening I'm gonna go do Joe, I'm, going I'm, I'm going to go do this we are going to Florida no this was I'm going to Florida to go to, to go do this to see if it works out she says she didn't 100% trust that he had enough, you know, wherewithal to keep it going and everything. But she thought the opportunity was too good to pass up. It was way more money, way less work in terms of she wasn't going to have to be in the in the stores. She would drive around and be a DM and check on him and everything, which, you know, bossing things around is what she was good at. And this is what, mid-20s? Uh, by this point, a little late 20s. Late 20s, okay. Yeah, um, we're getting close to 30 at this point. And I knew it was one of those situations where telling her no wouldn't have done any good. Plus, she had let me buy the store. Right. And I thought I owed it to her to let her go do this. And I thought, well, she's got the potential to make some really big money here. And, you know, I didn't have enough long-term faith in the comic book market at that point to go. I, I didn't think it would last forever. I didn't think, oh, I could still be doing this in 2018, you know. And so I let her go and do that. And part of it was that you stay in Illinois, and if things go kaput, I can just throw... Come back. Yeah, you yeah. keep staying in the apartment. I'll, I'm back the next day, and I'll go find another job, and I, we don't have to deal with moving or anything. And I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. And so that went for about a year. And What was that, what was that year like? A, a long-distance marriage. It sucked. Yeah. yeah. Joe went on to tell us that he was sick and tired of living without his wife finally put his foot down sold the store packed up his stuff and drove across the country and then said like i'm coming down you know we've wasted enough time here and so dumbass me decides to move myself and all my friends help me load up the truck and my dad's gonna drive it down to florida and i'm gonna save so much money and that was a disaster just put it that way (laughs) But you get there. I get there, and uh, about a week and a half later, she gets transferred to Alabama. Wow. Jill goes on to tell us this is where things get a little interesting in his story. Jill had been told by somebody else at this corporation, and this is why I don't want to name this corporation, that being married was not conducive to moving up. Hmm. And they, and this was another woman telling her this, that it would be a good idea for you to lose your husband. Not literally lose me. Right, right. But just, wow, yeah. Oh, you know. Honey, we're going on a camping trip. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which he, you might not return from. <laughs> he fell into the lake. I don't know what happened. He was such a good swimmer in high school. I guess he forgot all of that stuff. Joe had to pretend to be separated from Jill 
and this included not answering the phone at their home. In Joe's words, he gladly played along because he was just happy to be in the same place as his wife again. But just being in the same place as someone you love doesn't always mean that every day is a happy day. Joe goes on to tell us about a particular day in September 2000. September 18th, uh, 2000, woke up. She was on the phone at a conference call. Um, you know, got dressed. I was opening that morning. I used to open back then. I could get up. <laughs> Joe's not a morning person. No, I'm not now. a morning. No, no, no. But it was much later. I had to be at work at nine. Like I said, five minutes away. Not the hour I'm away from now. Um, so she was on the phone. I just kissed her goodbye, mouthed I love you, went to work. Um, had a crappy day at work, I think. Don't know. Can't remember. And came home and she wasn't home yet and that wasn't that big of a deal. Um, we never got home at the same time and everything. And hours kept going, the phone rang a couple of times. I'm like, eh, you know, I'm not supposed to answer the phone. And we had an answering machine, but I didn't really know how to work it. Uh, and I was also told to stay away from it because I had recorded some messages <laughs> that she made me take off. <laughs> I thought people would be in, entertained if they called an Elvis answered. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I certainly would have. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for calling us. We're not home right now, but if you want to leave us a peanut butter and nanner sandwich, you, you just do that and uh, Red will get back to us. That's okay? so amazing. Yeah. I, I would have loved to leave a message so on that. Danielle would have just called you. I would have yeah, just called to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I wasn't supposed to be messing around with that. So. Just Monday, like I said, it was a Monday night, so they started watching the game. Uh, it was Washington, and I don't remember who. I cooked a pizza for myself because it's clear she's not, you know. I'm still not really worried at this point. I'm like, well, work something. It's not day. atypical for her not to be home at this not, point. Right. Okay. But I was getting a little like, what's going on here? Finally, I hear this knock on my door, and it's like, I'm not really supposed to. Who's knocking? Are you allowed to answer the door? Uh, I felt in this case I better, and I looked through the keyhole and I didn't recognize who it was some woman and I opened up the door and she goes are you Jill's ex-husband and I go and defensively I said no I'm Jill's current husband she says um there's been an accident and you know you need to you know get on the phone listeners we've all been there a late night call a look on a doctor's face a feeling in the pit of your stomach telling you something is horribly wrong. I've been there. John's been there. So now Joe's there. I ended up calling the hospital, and the guy there tells me, um, your wife's been in an accident, and she, and I misunderstood because of his accent. He said, you know, she's got, it sounded like he said she's got a blade in her brain. And what he meant is she's got a bleed in her brain because she had an aneurysm. And then he goes, but the twins are okay. And I'm like, what is twins what the hell are you talking about you know we can't get pregnant we're not pregnant she's pregnant i end up i call jill's mom and she's like we've been trying to get a hold of you you know because jill's mom was the one that finally because they couldn't get anybody there and she's like well where's joe because jill's mom didn't know (laughs) she knows that you had to be in denial yeah and so that's why that's how the woman eventually got sent to go you know, because I wasn't going to answer the phone. And then her boss met me, and we went to the hospital. And um, 
so I talked to the to the surgeon there. He's like, your wife has had a massive brain aneurysm, and it's probably less than one percent chance that you know she would ever regain consciousness oh or or anything. He says, but you know, we got to her in time, and you know, you know, your kids have a chance. And this is where, again, I'm going to get all kind of, I don't know how pregnant we were. Um, not enough that I had, neither, either one of us had figured it out. So she did not know either. She didn't know either. There's things I can look back on now and go, oh, that's clear. You know, she threw up that morning, not because she smelled dog poop. It's because it was morning sickness. You know, the same as, oh, that headache she had the night before. That was the aneurysm getting, you know. And again, none of those things were, you know, out of the ordinary. The weight gain was not a thing. Jill would put on weight and take it off constantly. It was no big deal. So we just didn't see anything. And we had certainly not been trying to have kids, I can tell you that. Um, it was too busy with everything. And so to this day, I don't know how far along we were or anything like that. Um, so when we'd, said, have fig- we'd have figured it out probably in the next week, I imagine. So when they say the girls have a chance, what Basically, their idea was that they could keep Jill on a respirator and get her far enough along to where they could be born prematurely, but get in, you know, to be viable, to be viable and everything. And I was pretty much like, has this ever happened before? And they're like, no. And so, you know, that night was I call my mom told her what's going on. And again, my mom's a nurse. She knows what's going on. Called my job, quit um, in the middle of the night because I knew, I knew right then that this wasn't going to end properly. I knew I was, it, you know, he told me there was a, less than a 1% chance. She's not coming back, you know. You were, far, you were already in the mindset, like, I know what's going to happen. You yeah. There was no I'm, hope. There was no... If he had said there's a 75% chance, I would have said, okay, great. Mm-hmm. But less than 1% chance, I'm sorry. That, that's, I, it, it may sound cold, but that's, I'm a fairly logical person. That didn't sound very those optimistic to me. Those yeah. aren't good odds, yeah. yeah. No. So Jill's family is on the way to meet Joe at the hospital. When they arrive, as any parents would be, they are desperate for answers and a little bit of hope. They find a doctor who gives Jill better odds of survival than Joe received. Obviously, this muddies the water, and to make matters even more complicated, their decision might be dictated by legal and ethical concerns. The gist of this is that Alabama state law, if, if the fetuses are viable, you, gotta, you can't abort, you can't do anything like that. Um, so me wanting to say, well, let's shut this down, wasn't going to fly. The state wasn't going to let me. The hospital wasn't going to let me. And as it turned out, my in-laws weren't going to let me either. And that's nothing against, I totally, I love my in-laws, both of whom unfortunately are also not with us anymore. Um, But that's where you, you felt you needed to do that for Jill? I, yeah. I mean, because I was like, this has never, you know, nobody's ever done this before in the history of mankind. Nobody's been on a machine for two or three months to prematurely deliver babies that would be healthy, normal babies. This is, you know, even if they come out, even if they're, you know, if they're healthy, normal babies and she can pull this off, I'll have all the grandmoms and help that I can possibly get. 
I says, if these kids come out and they have Down syndrome or they have, and if they're not normal, who's going to help me? You know, um, I'm clueless. And, you know, but more to the point, and again, that might sound, maybe that makes me sound cold or, or, or what have you, but I just knew it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to pan out. And I also knew, because we had talked about this as recently as a week before this all happened, she had no desire to be on a machine at all. Did you have wills or anything at this we point? We did not, know. She was 34, I was 36 at this point. Um, we hadn't, hadn't even considered any of that stuff. We're just hopefully building a, a, a real life at that point. Right. We'd been playing before that. Joe's mom, an experienced nurse, advises Joe to have the hospital call an ethics committee meeting to discuss options. At this meeting, the head of neurosurgery tells Joe he understands what Joe is going through. Okay, guys, how many of you have been in this position where you are literally standing in front of somebody and they pretend to know exactly what you're going through? And I say pretend because I mean pretend. You guys, we all have different things that we experience and different emotions. And unless you're in that person's shoes, you can't possibly understand what they're going through. The pain, the hurt, the anger. There are so many emotions. And listen, we can acknowledge people's emotions without pretending to know exactly how they are feeling. So here's how Joe reacted. I said, unless you've had this happen to you, you have no effing idea how I feel right now. That was the moment when I think my father-in-law finally decided, I like this kid <laughs> after 17 years. Um, I did that in front of a priest and two nuns. Um, Good for you. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's your heart right. talking. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, if you believe in these sort of things, uh, so by that point, it's Wednesday, I think. I really don't know because there's and I apologize to the listeners. I, there's memories I do not have. I have memories wandering the streets of downtown Birmingham near the hospital. I don't know what the hell I was doing. I'll say to our listeners that if you're worried about Joe knowing what day of the week it is or his exact words that happen, just turn off the podcast. Yeah. I mean, Joe anyone, tell your story. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who has something as tragic happen as you did, clearly, I mean, it's a self preservation mechanism yeah. that you don't remember certain things there's right. a reason okay you guys picture this you're in a fog your brain is reeling processing you lose time you lose space the days run together it seems like one long endless night and day you forget to eat you forget to sleep you basically forget to take care of yourself you get lost in your thoughts the same thoughts over and over and over you're stuck your brain is cycling, and then... And at some point in the afternoon, I believe it was, we heard something, a code something or other go over, and Jill had a heart attack, and, and then had a miscarriage. So Jill took care of it from, like I said, if you want to believe in that sort of thing, she took care of it, because as soon as she had a miscarriage, then they had no reason to keep her alive, because they knew she wasn't coming back. Um, and at that point, that was when they came to me and go, well, she's an organ donor and we would really like to get cracking on that. How'd that make you feel? Um, I would just about said no. Um, I'm already furious with Birmingham, whatever it is, hospital at that point. Um, but it was 
on the back of her license. We hadn't talked about it per se. I probably knew it. I decided that spiting the hospital isn't something that that's not what you do. I mean, what kind of you know? And, you feel and like more to the point, Jill wanted it. Jill wanted it, yeah. and I was going to make her death count for something. She's going to save some other lives and help people out. So I said, "Yeah, go ahead. Let's let's get that done." And she did save a couple of other lives um, that I'm aware of. I did talk to. I wrote a letter to one of the people. I they don't tell you who they are, mm-hmm. so I know for a fact that one of her kidneys went to someone and, and helped somebody out. So, there's that. So that was heavy. Let's give ourselves a quick breather. With a nugget from the vault about microphones. Which allow us to fill your ear holes and hear stories like Joe's. All right, let's talk microphones. Let's talk microphones. So here we are, learning as we go. Definitely a huge (laughs) learning curve. Uh, um, One of the things we talked about a lot was just kind of what kind of equipment we needed. And luckily, our buddy Joe. Good old Joe. Who has a radio show, had just purchased a new microphone. And I asked if we could borrow his old one. So he gave us a couple of microphones. Yes, and we chose the better of the two. Because what was wrong with the other one? It looked like it was from the 1970s. The 70s. The 70s. The The 1970s? Okay. Yeah, it just, it was that old beige. Like you could picture a 70s game show host like carrying it around. Absolutely. Or like on... You know, one of the most gigantic computers you've ever seen. Because it was like the first computer. The dinosaur ages, you know. (laughs) So it was a dinosaur microphone. (laughs) But we did pick one that's a little more modern and is working great. Yeah, it works great. Picks up sound well. Its it's name is Samson. It is. So don't cut its hair. The... (laughs) So every recording session up till now... Right. One of us has either precariously balanced the microphone or it's been on a table between us mm-hmm. or we've actually had to literally hold it in front of our faces. Right, right. Because and we're we're also trying to gauge how far do you need to be away from the microphone for it to sound good right. slash good enough to, you know, send out into ear space ear space right to your ear hole friends and so coming to an ear canal near you (laughs) and so today you have surprised me with what development danielle i you know i was just kind of putzing around with it if you will putzing yeah like that's a word right i think it's a yiddish word maybe i'm making something that you probably don't want to know did it mean something I think a putz is probably a noun that we oh, should not discuss on okay. the podcast. Well, anyway, I was fidgeting. So you were fidgeting. playing with the putz. I was fidgeting around with Samson. I'm going to call him Samson. His name is now Samson. I'm playing around with Samson, and I discover that the little, oh, what do you call this? Clippy-doo? Well, but I didn't know it was a clip. We didn't know it was a clip. thought it was a stand. A stand of sorts actually has what looks to me a chip clip part. <laughs> on it and why like listen i'm obsessed with chips so this is what i think of like oh oh you can you can move it like a chip clip oh my gosh i can clip it onto my computer or if we have a bag of chips i could totally use that as a fresh i mean they won't last long so i don't need a chip clip but yes (laughs) like so it's it's nicely clipped on to the top of my macbook air Hey, Apple. Hit us Um, up. Hit us up. Yeah. So not only do we not have to hold it, we don't have to balance it on a knee or 
move it back and forth. I mean, it literally rests very nicely on this. Clips nice. For one of us in particular, having our hands free while we talk will make a huge difference. Are you saying quality. I'm a Are you I, saying I'm I a hand you? talker? Did I say you? You did you you implied that I was a hand talker. Am I normally a hand talker? Do I hand talk? I think a little bit. A little bit. I, yeah, I could be expressive. Yeah. But now I'm consciously not moving my hands. <laughs> and the quality of conversation has diminished. <laughs> poorly declined. And so I'm now, sorry. Now, sorry, now, ear can- canals. Sorry, ear holes. <laughs> we'll fix it before you hear from us again. We will. Um, so thank you, Samson, for clipping onto my computer and making life just a little bit easier. So there's that. So there's a big fat that. Hey, hey, just a quick reminder. We are not trained professionals. This podcast is about sharing stories and personal experiences. We believe in the power of listening, empathizing, caring, and being good to one another. But if you need help and don't know where to start, reach out to us. We'll try to provide you with guidance and support to help you unpack your story. So there's that. Joe experiences one of the worst things imaginable and now faces a choice. He can let this destroy him and he can quit or he can try to pick up the pieces and not let this tragedy define him. We all have stuff like this in our lives. We carry this baggage with us everywhere we go. It impacts every decision we make in some way. And with each decision comes the option to throw in the towel and decide it's too hard. But by unpacking the baggage, which may take years of reflection, soul searching, and sharing with other people, we decide to keep going keep moving forward and not let it keep us from living life let's hear how joe unpacked his baggage joe explains that there's a difference between moving on and moving forward he tells us he made a quick decision that is a different thing i moved on the night i was in the hospital when the doctor told me what the odds are. i was like okay i have to get my life together you know i she helped me to get to that point Um, As I said, I was fairly clueless about how the real world worked. She always said that I was the smartest book-learned person she had ever met, but I was street smarts were, I was the stupidest person that she ever met. And if I'm anything, a lot of it's because of her, and she got me to that point. But moving on, you know, everybody does that their own way and in their own time. I didn't, I didn't cry. Um, until sometime, I think, in February or March. Uh, one of our dogs was barking one night, and I just got mad as hell. And, and I still regret this, but I picked him up. I didn't throw him. He's a small dog. He's a Yorkie. He would come back and bit me. Um, I just kind of picked him up and shook him and said, stop that. And then I just totally broke down. And that's when, you know, I dealt with... The emotion the, just the, hit you. Right, at yeah. that point. Because I was pretty much numb up to that point. Again, from September 22nd, I think that was the Friday, until December, whatever it was, I came back to Bloomington. That's a blur. There's total weeks there that are just lost to me. I don't know what happened. I mean, I didn't do anything bad. I don't drink or anything like that. I drove around, you know, Birmingham listening to really bad sports talk radio. Um, So you talked about, like, people saying get over it yeah yeah well, a lot um no but i did i i've heard that kind of thing i've talked to other people who've lost people and they'll have people say well you've got to get over it you know it's like no you don't have to get over it you do need to move on 
but everybody does that differently. Some people need help. Some people have to get counseling and everything. I didn't do any of that. Um, what, did, I, what did you do to cope? Um, came back and got a job immediately. My father-in-law had suggested taking a year or two off to deal with it. Um, what was the idea to give yourself something to do to immerse yourself I, into? Or? I think that was part of it. The other part was I, I didn't think that Jill would find that acceptable. I mean, she wasn't going to let me take two months off, you know, from selling my business just to, you know, hang watch, out, watch football. Um, there was no way she's going to want me to sit around and mourn, you know, for a year when I should be out working. So talk, yeah. talk about that for a second. How do you still make decisions about your life thinking about what she would tell you to do or yeah. what she would want you to do? Yeah. Not every single particular one, but yeah, there are definitely things. Um, and I couldn't tell you necessarily what, but things that I would think, okay, what would Jill think about this? Or, you know, oh, I know this would piss her off, so I'm going to go ahead and do it, you know, because um, married couples do that, you know. You oh, push sure, it, you know push how to push it. buttons. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, absolutely. There, um, but again, she formed, and you and I have had this conversation before, and I, I, and I alluded to it here, that a lot of who I am is because of her. Um, she just taught me how to get along out here in the real world and maybe gave me a little bit more work ethic than I already had and just helped me with things. So, I mean, her influence on me was just tremendous. Not that my parents didn't have it. I mean, it makes it sound like my parents just, you know, left me out in the backyard and said, come in for dinner every now and then. Um, that's not true, but um, yeah, absolutely. There's just, just... Were you angry? Did, was there somebody you blamed? No, there was no one to blame. I mean... Her. Her, her, her body. Mad at God or um, mad at the boss who lured her away or anything like that? I don't remember actually having that. I know there's supposed to be 12 steps of grief. I think I skipped over a bunch of them. Um, I was never very good at math, and, um, and I wouldn't have known what those were ahead of time anyway. There was, I, 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 if I was mad at anybody, I was mad at her for a little bit, just, you know, for her body failing, but what are you what are you supposed to do? I actually view it as a blessing because I don't have some drunk driver to be angry at right. for the rest of my life, right. or a, a burglar, or anything like that. I mean, she wasn't, and fortunately, and I, I didn't. She was driving home from work when the aneurysm hit. Thankfully, she was stuck in rush hour traffic down there, and so she was basically at a standstill, and then the car just. When when it hit, she it just kind of went off to the side of the road, and so it was nobody in, else. And so nobody got she didn't hurt anybody else, um, you know. I mean, it's all, you know, that that makes me feel good about that. So, no, whatever anger I had, the anger I had, and still have, is at you know the Birmingham hospital, um, but those folks are just doing their jobs, obeying the, the laws that they have to obey. You know, that's even faded for the most part, other than when I think of that whoever that head surgeon guy was to say that. That is just the most insensitive damn thing. Ah. But uh, no, um, I just, like I said, I kind of just sucked it up and and moved on. I, that's what she would have wanted. How, um, how do you think Jill's death has impacted your subsequent relationships, whether it's friendships or romantic relationships? Friendships, not at all. Um, it's one of those things... Sometimes, depending who it is, I'll let them know right off the bat. Um, 
what the situation is, especially, and John can attest to this, I continued to wear my wedding ring for a long time, um, up till actually just a couple of years ago. Not only are current friendships impacted by a tragedy of this nature, so are future relationships. So we asked Joe. As far as relationships, well, that's, <laughs> that's a different matter. Um, the uh, only actual relationship I've had since she died um, was probably t way too soon for me, unfortunately. I, with it, it was barely two years was barely, that I met somebody that I was working with and we got along. So we, we talked about it, you know, I mean, she knew. I told her right off the bat, I says, here's what you have to know about me and Jill. This is, you know, she died. I love her. I still love her. I'm not ever not going to love her. That doesn't mean I can't fall in love with somebody else. So, so you have to know that I spent 17 years with this person. We weren't married the whole 17 years, but 17 years. It's a long time to be somebody. You know, I wasn't trying to find a replacement. You know, you have to be exactly like Jill. You know, you need to wear your hair like Jill. I No, I liked her for who she was. Um, so, but I do think that 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 invisible specter may have been something that you know was a problem, um, and I again during that whole time I hadn't taken my wedding ring off. She got in a fight about that one afternoon, and I and I wasn't even thinking about it. It wasn't even. It's like oh oh god yeah, and I took it you know, right. which was right. the first time I had taken it off, and you know since we'd been married, um, and then there hasn't really been anything since then. We asked Joe how much support he had from his friends, and he said most of them were there for him but he did talk about people not knowing what to do or say. And I think this is really common, especially with loss. There pretty much are two camps of the way people respond, whether intentionally or unintentionally. One is often people can be pretty insensitive. They say things just to say them, just to find some words and often come across as either unempathetic, hurtful, harsh, insensitive, or just kind of dumb. And it's really not because they're trying to be insensitive. It's mostly because they just don't know what to say. And then there's the other camp of people, the people who say nothing at all. Sometimes those people end up not staying in your life for very long. Um, so we've been talking about kind of how people treated you. How did it change the way you look at other people or how you treat other people or did it at all? Um, it certainly makes me more sympathetic when I hear that somebody lost somebody. Um, I do occasionally get mad when I see some old couple together, uh, and I think, why the hell them? And, and not and me. We're yeah. Not you know why wasn't that? That should be me and Jill, you know. Um, but that's that's foolish thinking. Um, I, I, that part I'm pretty much over. But I had that a lot. When people aren't nice to you, do you ever want to hit them with this story? Like you think life is hard? Let me tell you about life. I yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I had it happen once at Sam Goody. Um, some guy, and again, I don't remember all the details, was giving me something about, you don't know something about something. And I go, yes, I do. I've buried my wife and children. Um, so don't tell me about what I, about grief and what I do or don't know. And he's like, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't know. And I was like, I know you didn't, but then you shouldn't be. And I wish I could remember what it was he said. I, it was enough to make me, you know, say something I would not ordinarily say at work. 
Um, although at Sam Goody, we said all kinds of things that we didn't. We tell kids, Are "You really buying that crap?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that speaks a lot to our our kind of the theme, the of, theme our of our podcast. And John and I have talked about this a lot: is how you know we've both gone through some stuff, and you went through some stuff, and our stuff may look different, but you never know what somebody has been through. Exactly. And so we're really quick to to judge or get mad or snippy or yell at somebody for the stupidest things. And not really considering what what did they bring to the table today? What are they coming to this situation with? Yeah, I try to I try to be more understanding in that. I mean, uh, John knows that we certainly get snarky with with some of the folks we deal with. Um, Nobody's gonna believe I am snarky. <laughs> no, no, sarcastic of me? I think not. Um, but I try to give people a, a lot of benefit of the doubt. One of the things, one of the things that was always amazing about Jill was, even though she did not have that circle of friends, I mean, she got along with everybody, you know. And I always thought that was impressive, whether it was the the hoity-toity management people or you know the sixteen-year-old girl working on the drive-through. She could always find something to talk to them about and relate to them on that level. And I, that always impressed me about her. It's amazing to watch when you hang out with somebody like that. It's just that easy connection with yeah. everybody, right? Yeah, and I didn't always feel that I that was something, you know, that I could do. Um, I mean, I know a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff, but I don't always necessarily open up to people that easily. I mean, I have to in a work situation, but it's a different thing because of a, I have this loose script that I work from but like if I'm at a party and I don't know anybody I'm the guy sitting over in the corner and I'm just watching you know still to this day to this day uh, before I feel comfortable jumping in and doing stuff now if, if I'm at a party and there's people there I know I'm the guy with the lampshade on his head okay <laughs> that's not true because I, I don't drink but I'm you know I'm fun Joe I'm fun Joe what's he, one he thing does exist What's one thing you'd say to Jill if she was here now or, or something that you would want her to know? Uh, that I still love her, but that I have accepted what's going on and that I would hope that she would be happy with how I've conducted myself since she passed on. I know that she would be thrilled that, you know, with the work situation that, that I have, um, that I'm finally dressing the way that she really would like me to. Joe admitted that he still wears clothes that Jill picked out for him, even all those years ago. Knowing you for all these years, I'm sure she'd be proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I would like to think that she would, you know. Um, just try to use stuff that she taught me. You, I think you talked about this maybe earlier, but what's one thing you want our listeners to know about your journey? Um, I've told people this before. Despite all of that, you know, I mean, you use the word tragedy and everything. I don't, I tend to not think of it in those kind of words. I'm the luckiest guy who's ever lived, uh, you know, even luckier than Lou Gehrig. Um, today, 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 today. Well, you know, I didn't get to hang with Babe Ruth and eat hot dogs, but um, all of these things happened, and I could have been in such a worse condition. Everything fell into place for me to come back to the town I had left, you know, nine months before, um, not in the same apartment, but with the same landlord. Um, 
because I was in no real state to find a house for my, or, you know, or an apartment for myself, but I called up our own old landlord. I fell right into a job doing something that I knew. Um, I stayed close with my family. So you're able to go through what you went through and still maintain some semblance of life. I would say more than a semblance other than the lack of you know a relationship. Okay. It's interesting that you would say after all of that that you felt like the luckiest man alive. I just, Is that because you found her and had well, her yeah. for the time I mean, you had her? Yeah, so many people don't have somebody. They never find their person. You know, I got to be with her for 17 years. Yes, I would have liked to have been with her for 77 years, but that didn't happen. I'm lucky for the time I had. She made me a better person. The journey would have been different had she lived. I mean, if the, if the girls had lived, that totally would have been a different, you know, I'd have two 17-year-old daughters on my hands right now. Um, do you miss, I, do you feel like no, she should um, have been a dad or? No, because, because we weren't trying, I wasn't expecting it. Um, that is, I don't travel down that road very often. I will say that that is kind of a blocked off place in the head. I don't try not to do too much what if on that. I mean, it's unavoidable, but um, that's a dangerous road to go down there. So I don't, I don't do that because I don't, uh, that's not healthy. I'm here, I can help other people. I've talked to a lot of people over the years at the store who've lost somebody and you know we talk about it and I try to help them out and just make her death count for something. Um, Do you feel like you're able to co- connect easier with people or or maybe they're able to like, that's what I'm trying to say. When you lose somebody, you obviously know, you said it before, you can't possibly understand what I'm feeling unless you've been through it. Do you feel like there is this real fast connection when somebody else hears like oh he's lost somebody too okay he gets it yeah absolutely and those are the people like that like i said i I will tell them you know there's a difference between that that getting over it and moving on thing and i tell them just you'll know when things are going to be okay I i promise you and i probably shouldn't say promise anybody anything that you will wake up one morning and you'll be able to smile again and you'll be able to laugh again and jokes will be fun. jokes will be funny again and you can enjoy the stuff that you enjoyed before but that's when that hits you is different for every single person like i said some people absolutely need counseling and absolutely have to do that i just i didn't i probably again lucky in that way that i was able to work through it in my head it's it's actually empowering in one way that the worst thing that could ever happen to me has happened to me and I'm still here and so when other things come up it's like oh yeah things that prior to that would have been oh my gosh like this is so terrible my car got smashed it's like it's not the worst that could happen no right it's just a car yeah it's a car it's you know just a fucking car yeah So there's that. We're thankful to have had Joe share his story with us and with you. He lived through the absolute worst thing he could imagine. And even though he still has scars and baggage from losing his wife, he hasn't let it define the rest of his life. Baggage. We aren't here to expose dark secrets and gawk or point fingers. 
We're here to tell stories and unpack the baggage. And in doing so, maybe we'll find these stories have power. The power to let you know you're not alone with your stuff. The power to believe that your baggage doesn't have to hold you back. Maybe by acknowledging that we all have a story, we'll listen more. And be a little better to each other? And you never know who you'll meet. So there's that. Okay, guys, thanks so much for hopping on and listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, we would love to hear. Find us on social media at So There's That Too. John, let's take them out. Podcast, podcast. podcast. Thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening to our podcast. podcast. <laughs>